Hello everybody, this is Dan Charter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I am going to cover Acts chapter 15 verses 36 through 41 in this audio. Our context is this, the Jerusalem Council has been concluded in our previous audio and the previous verses in Acts 15. Paul and Barnabas had left the council, bringing back from the Jerusalem Council, along with the Jerusalem brothers Judas and Silas, bringing back the letter from the Jerusalem Council to the Antiochian church. The church in Antioch had received the message. Everybody was happy. The legalists had been squashed. And then Paul and Barnabas spent some time teaching there. And we pick up the story in Acts 15, verse 36. After some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit the brothers in every town where we have preached the message of the Lord and see how they're doing. Now, what towns are is are Paul referring to? He's referring to the towns that Paul and Barnabas went to on the first journey, which were not counting the towns in Cyprus, because this time they're going to go overland and not across the Mediterranean Sea by way of Cyprus. But he's talking about the towns that were in Galatia, right in the middle of the Anatolian landmass, namely Pisidian, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. And so they're going to go back and visit those towns. This is all recorded in, on the first missionary journey, which started in, which runs Acts 13 through Acts 14, verse 26. Now, this going back and strengthening churches that have already been established, this is a hugely important pattern. Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown say this is, quote, a pattern for churches and successful missionaries in every age. You've got to take care of the people you convert. If children are born, they need parenting for a while, and then you turn them loose. Now, I applaud Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown for appealing to the pattern of the New Testament. This is not a direct command to do this. This is just an historical pattern. And you hear theologians and Bible commentators constantly say, well, you know, it's just history. That's descriptive. It's not prescriptive. We're not bound by history. Well, we're not. We're not. We shouldn't follow the pattern of the apostles. And why not? They were the ones who were taught by Jesus how to start the church. They know more than we do about how to do it, so why shouldn't we follow the pattern of the apostles? Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown appeals to the pattern here in the, incident, in the instance of returning back to already established churches in order to strengthen them. Well, okay, but what about other patterns in the book of Acts? For example, consensual government, which I've mentioned in a previous audio at the Jerusalem Council, was appealed to was practiced over and over again. How about plural, non-hierarchical leadership in the churches? How about meeting in homes? How about having the Lord's Supper every week? How about interactive meetings, things that make church fun and exciting and blessed to go to, as opposed to listening to a one-man pastor give a boring lecture while you're lined up in a pew fellowshipping with the back of somebody's neck? Why not do it the New Testament way? Clark said that Paul and Bartimus needed to go back and strengthen these churches because, quote, these were young converts surrounding, surrounded with impiety, opposition, and superstition. Yes, yes they were. And young converts like that need to be taken care of. Now notice that Paul mentions to Barnabas, we need to go back in every town where we have preached the message of the Lord. What? Paul and Barnabas were doing then is they were evangelizing, and that's why that word preach is, preached is used. It's, tall, it's 
the word means to evangelize the lost. It does not mean to give sermons to people who are already converted. And that's why I never use the word, if I can help it, I always say taught, if it's if the message is being given to believers. And I say evangelized, if it's a message for the lost. We go now to Acts 15, verses 37 and 38. Barnabas wanted to take along John Mark on this proposed second journey. But Paul did not think it appropriate to take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them in the work. Now what Paul is referring to is an unfortunate incident that happened on the first journey. It's recorded in Acts 13.13. Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos. This is Paphos is on the west end of Cyprus. This is on the first journey. And they came to Perga in Pamphylia, which is on the coast of southern Anatolia, southern Asia Minor. John, however, left them and went back to Jerusalem. Now, John Gill speculates as to why John Mark did that. Maybe John Mark was tired. Maybe he was afraid of the danger that was facing them. They were the area that they were contemplating traveling through up the mountain passes from Perga up to Pisidia and Antioch was full of robbers. Maybe he was scared, afraid. Maybe he missed his mama back in Jerusalem. Who knows? I don't know. But for whatever reason, Paul wasn't happy about it. He says, no, we're not going to take him along. Now, who is this John Mark? Well, he was Barnabas's cousin. We know that because we read in Colossians 4.10, Paul refers to him. Paul is signing off on his letter, and he says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, as does Mark, Barnabas's cousin. So that's how we know that Mark is Barnabas's cousin. Colossians 4.10. Now, this interesting side note here is that many commentators say that Mark was Barnabas's nephew, not his cousin. Now, where does this idea come from? It comes from a funky, faulty King James translation. Let me read Colossians 4.10 in the King James Version. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, which, of course, would make Mark a nephew of Barnabas. Well, let me get read you some commentary from a website I found. It says, when we look at the Greek for Colossians 4.10, we see the key word is anepsios. It is the word which the KJV translates as sister's son. However, anepsios means cousin. Nowhere in Colossians 4.10 is the Greek word for sister or sister's son or son. Sister is Adelphi and son is Huios. Nowhere are those words found. So this is just a, a bad translation. This website continues. This is www.jesusalive. In every major Bible version apart from the KGV, i.e. the new KGV, the NASB, the NIV, the ESV, Colossians 4.10 is translated as cousin of Barnabas or Barnabas's cousin. In addition, nearly every scholar agrees this is the proper translation. That's a bad translation in Colossians 4.10. Even the New King James fixed it. So now we know for sure that Barnabas was John Mark's cousin. Well, more important in identifying Mark, more important than trying to figure out what his relationship with Barnabas was, Mark ended up being the author of the second gospel. Now, here, he's not shown in a good light. Was he a coward? Was he a mama's boy? Was he lazy? Why did he, was he disloyal? But he ended up a lot better than that. Author of the second gospel, 
And as we see in Colossians 4.10, which I've just read, Mark was mentioned. Uh, I'll show in a later how Mark has been thoroughly reconciled to Paul by the end of Paul's life. And so this story, this unfortunate incident has a happy ending. How did Mark end up in in, um, Antioch, by the way? Because Mark was from Jerusalem. His mother had a house in Jerusalem there. He was probably taken from Jerusalem by Paul and Barnabas after Paul and Barnabas delivered the poor relief collection from Antioch to Jerusalem in Acts 11, 29 through 30. Let me read that. So each of the disciples at Antioch, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers who lived in Judea. They did this, sending sending it to the elders by means of Barnabas and Saul. So that's when Barnabas and Saul took the poor relief to Jerusalem, and they probably, doesn't say it in the scriptures, but since John Mark was there, ready to go on the first journey and ready to go on the second journey, apparently Paul and Barnabas had brought John Mark back from Jerusalem up to Antioch. Now, Barnabas's blood relation to Mark probably made Barnabas too easy in his judgment of Mark, says Adam Clark. A lot of people suspect Barnabas of not being objective here and being too easy on Mark because of his because he was related to him. Well, that is often said, but you know, a lot of times nepotism helps. A lot of times you trust your family members better than somebody else, and so you you rely on them in business or or in partnerships with various enterprises. You rely on your relatives because you know them. So we can say, yeah, well, maybe Barnabas was too easy on Mark, but maybe Barnabas knew Mark better than Paul did and knew that Mark could be redeemed. After all, he was later on, turned out to be a good apostle. At any rate, we go to verse 39 in Acts 15. There was such a sharp disagreement that they parted company, Paul and Barnabas, parted company, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus. That's, of course, Barnabas is where he was born, his his home stomping grounds. Barnabas takes Mark, and he disappears from the pages of Acts, not to be mentioned again in the book. Now, there are some speculations about what happened to Barnabas and Mark afterwards. Let's take Barnabas first. Apparently, he went back to Antioch. If we assume that Galatians 2, 11-13 occurred after the second journey and not before, and that's a problem I can't answer. We read this in Galatians 2, 11 through 13. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. That's I, Paul. For he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy, his hypocrisy Peter's hypocrisy, so that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. So Barnabas sided with Peter in an unfortunate incident there. And so maybe that shows that Barnabas came back to Antioch. Maybe. Depends on when Galatians, when this incident in Galatians 2 occurred. But whatever he did after he went on his missionary journey to Cyprus, which is not the results of which are not recorded in Acts, Barnabas was restored to Paul's good graces. Remember, the second journey, which is getting ready to start, is from 49 to 52 A.D. In A.D. 55... When approximate, the approximate time when 1 Corinthians was written, we read this in 1 Corinthians 9, 6. Paul says, Or do Barnabas and I alone have no right to refrain from working? He mentions Barnabas as a fellow apostle. Maybe not on the same mission journey with him, but as, a, as somebody who's an apostle. So we deduce from that that Barnabas and Paul got, were together again in spirit uh, after this unfortunate incident, and we've already said that John Mark 
is back together with Paul. I mentioned Colossians 4:10, where Mark is mentioned uh, in the in the in the closing of the letter to Colossians. But let's mention some other things to show that he was reinstated with Paul. Philemon 1:24. This is written about 61. Remember, the second journey is 49 through 52. So we're talking about nine years later or so. Philemon 124, Mark, Aristarchus, Nemus, and Luke, my co-workers. So Mark is mentioned as a co-worker of Paul. So Paul's gotten reconciled with him. At the very end of Paul's life, and Paul is writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.11, we read this. Only Luke is with me. This is about, by the way, about 67 AD, near the end of Paul's life. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you, for he is useful to me in ministry. So Mark is said to be useful to Paul in ministry. And who did Paul want with him as he's getting ready to shuffle off this mortal coil? He wants Mark to be with him. So the NIV Study Bible deduces from this but that by the end of Paul's life, he had come to admire Mark much. So much so that Paul requested Mark to be with Paul during the final days of Paul's life. And I think the NIV Study Bible is entirely correct on that point. So, a lot of times this incident is referred to as, A, we can't all get along, so let's just live with it. But we tend to forget that there was reconciliation after this agree- after this disagreement. And we're going to talk in a little bit later is, was it a, f- a friendly agreement to disagree, or was there a big blow-up where everybody's yelling at each other? Now, that's another issue that needs to be looked at. First, though, let's look at some options as to why Barnabas favored taking Mark with him instead of uh, instead of leaving him behind on the second journey. First reason, option A, NIV Study Bible says, well, Barnabas was biased because he was related to him. Yeah, well, that's a common accusation. Another possible reason, Mark's mother Mary was an excellent woman. She was a very devoted, dedicated Christian. She had received saints into her house. During a time of persecution, this is earlier in Acts, remember Peter got out of jail and that's the first place he went was John Mark's mother's Mary, John Mark's mother, Mary's house. And so maybe just because of reputation, Barnabas wanted to take Mark along on the second journey. Maybe Bar- option C, that second option, uh, Barnabas should, be ta- should take Mark along because of Mary, his mother. That was Gill's suggestion. Gill also suggests option three. Mark should have been cut some slack because he was a young man. Come on, he's young. He's got to learn. Give him a break, Paul. Option four. Hey, just because he left us at Perga, that was not a big deal. That was not all that serious, says John Gill. And in favor of this option, I could point out that Paul and Barnabas carried on quite well without John Mark. They did the evangelization of Pisidian Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby with no trouble, successfully. So maybe they didn't need John Mark. So his abandonment might not have been a big deal. But on the other hand, helpers are very valuable. They don't get enough credit, but helpers are extremely valuable. And Paul and Barnabas had to go on their own because Mark left them. So I don't think that's a good option. Option four, what Mark did was all not all that serious, so let's let him go with us on the second journey. Option five. Barnabas is John Mark's relative, so he might have known Mark better than Paul. He might have seen some stuff in Mark that Paul didn't see. And thus, Barnabas would be more willing to cut Mark some slack than Paul was. All right, that's that's Barnabas', Barnabas possible reasons why Barnabas took his point of view. Now, let's look at 
the situation from Paul's point of view. Here's some options as to why Paul felt like he needed not to take Mark. First option, he had behaved in a cowardly fashion. This is John Gill's suggestion. Option number two, he showed that he did not care about the work of the ministry. Well, it doesn't look good when you abandon. Option three, Paul might be afraid that Mark might desert them again on the second journey, and that could prove to be dangerous. I mean, it would look bad, right? Well, we went off on the second journey, and Mark, well, he left us, and as soon as he got out of town, he was attacked by a band of murderous robbers, and he was killed. Go tell Mary that in Jerusalem. Oh, that's going to be great. I mean, Paul might have actually been a little bit concerned about Mark for his physical safety. So, we'll talk about in a little bit who was right. Well, let's talk about it now. Who was right? Paul or Barnabas? Well, here's some arguments in favor of Paul. As I just mentioned, argument number one, Mark could desert Paul again in a time of peril. That's Jameson Fawcett and Brown's idea. Option number two in favor of Paul. Barnabas was too easy in his judgments. He had already been led astray by Peter in the matter of legalism, either already or after the second journey, depending on when Galatians 2.13 occurred. Remember when Peter refused to eat with the Gentiles in Antioch, thus making it look like the law was important? Barnabas went along with Peter. He didn't stand up to Peter. Paul did. In other words, Paul could make the tough decisions, tough personnel decisions. Barnabas might have been just a little bit too easygoing about that. All right, so that's the second uh, second argument in favor of Paul's decision. Barnabas was just too easy in his judgments about people's qualifications. Now let's look at some of Barnabas' arguments to argue in favor of him, him being right. First argument. Later events proved Mark to be an excellent apostle. I've just showed you. He was with Paul when he died. He's called a, a co-worker in these past, uh, New Testament letters I just quoted to you. A co-worker, a friend, a comfort, a consolation. He was an excellent apostle. So Barnabas knew what he was talking about. Option number two in favor of Barnabas. Or argument number two in favor of Barnabas. Barnabas was closer to Mark and knew him better than Paul. So they should have taken him. Option number three, he was protecting Mark because Paul's refusal of Mark could have destroyed Mark's confidence to minister. Well, maybe so, but it didn't because this is not a good argument in favor of Barnabas because John Mark's confidence to minister was not destroyed. Later on, he became an apostle too, so that won't, that's not a good argument in favor of Barnabas. At any rate, when you stack up the pros and the cons, Jameson Fawcett and Brown says it is very difficult to say who was right, and I agree with that. I don't know who was right. I don't really care. It was the personnel decision. Those things are, you can always question those kind of decisions. But now there's another important issue to look at about this dispute. Was there anger and loss of goodwill between Paul and Barnabas? Or was it merely that they agreed to disagree and they split up the mission field and they made a decision? Well, I suggest it's the latter. I don't think they got angry at each other and lost their goodwill. Let me read you a good quote from Adam Clark. And why is it that most men must attach blame to this difference between Paul and Barnabas? And why is it that this is brought in as a proof of the sinful imperfection of these holy apostles? Because those who thus treat the subject can never differ with another without feeling wrong tempers. And then as destitute of good breeding as they are of humility... They attribute to others the angry, proud, and wrathful dispositions which they feel in themselves. And because they cannot be angry and sin not, they suppose that even apostles cannot. So he just uses an ad hominem argument. 
people see disagreement, they immediately project their own situations where they disagreed with brothers and say, well, I got mad and angry at my brother when I disagreed with him, so therefore Paul and Barnabas must have. Here's another quote from Adam Clark. Should any man say there was sin in this contention between Paul and Barnabas, I answer, there is no evidence of this in the text, which is true. Now, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown counter somewhat Clark by saying that the word paroxysm is used in the Greek when it talks about the disagreement, a paroxysm, which, of course, sounds horrible. I don't know how the, I don't know Greek well enough to know how the language translates into English, but I don't know. Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown, even though they say that, they also say this, quote, it is very likely that Paul and Bartimaeus made a deliberate and amicable agreement, arrangement, a deliberate and amicable arrangement to divide the region of their first mission between them, Paul taking the continental and Barnabas the insular part of the proposed visitation. If Barnabas visited Salamis and Paphos, and if Paul, traveling westward after passing through Derby, Lystra, and Iconium, went as far as Antioch and Pisidia, the whole circuit of the proposed visitation was actually accomplished. Remember, Paul was saying, Barnabas, let's go back and visit the churches. Well, on the second journey, Paul went back and only visited the churches on mainland Asia Minor, Pisidian, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. He did not visit the two places they visited on Cyprus, which was Salamis on the east coast and Paphos on the west coast. But Barnabas probably did when he went to Cyprus. So what Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown are saying here, maybe Paul and Barnabas decided to split up. In other words, the the decision about where who John Paul was going to tra- um, John Mark was going to travel with that decision was secondary to the major decision, which was I'll take the courses on the mainland. Paul Paul says this: I'll take the towns in Asia Minor to go visit, and Barnabas, you take the towns in Cyprus, and we'll cover all the churches we started on the first journey, and we'll strengthen them. I think that sounds a lot nicer than they had a big fight. Oh, there's nothing worse than a church fight. It's like a family fight. Oh, there's nothing worse. That'll make you grow if it doesn't destroy you. We turn now to Acts 15:40. Then Paul chose Silas and departed after being commended to the grace of the Lord by the brothers. Now remember, Silas was one of the brothers from Jerusalem who came up bringing the Jerusalem council letter up to Antioch along with his friend Judas, Judas Barsabbas. He was a prophet. He was one of the two prophets that gave a long message to the church at Antioch, strengthening and encouraging them. He's mentioned, I think, seven times and I think four times in Acts. And, and he's mentioned in, if I remember correctly, Paul mentions him in two letters, in three letters to two different churches. So he became, he's not well known, but he was a boon companion of Paul. And he was on, Silas was on the second journey. They were commended to the grace of the Lord by the brothers. That's the brothers at Antioch. Now, there's an interesting question here. Why was Silas in Antioch? If you recall, after he had delivered the Jerusalem council letter along with his buddy Judas, he returned to Jerusalem. At least it sounds that way. We read in Acts 15.33, after spending some time there, they were sent back in peace. They, that's Judas and Silas, They were sent back in peace by the brothers in Antioch to those who had sent them, to those in Jerusalem who had sent them. So Silas has already left town. So now he's back in Antioch getting ready to travel. Well, I think 
what happened was he went back to Jerusalem and he just went back up to Antioch. It wasn't Antioch. It wasn't that far. And that's why he was there. So it's no big deal. But the reason it becomes a problem is because the KGV in Acts 15.34 says this, Notwithstanding it pleased Silas to abide there still, to abide in Antioch. In other words, we read in verse 33 that Paul, that Judas and Silas were sent back to Jerusalem in peace by the brothers in Antioch. They were sent back to Jerusalem in verse 33. And in verse 34, the KGV says, Notwithstanding that, Silas stayed there. So he went back to Jerusalem in verse 33, and in verse 34 he stayed at Antioch, which doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It's contradictory. Well, most English versions either mark it out or leave it out. Verse 34 has terrible textual authority, as I mentioned in the last audio. Most modern translations leave it out. So, but in fact, the reason this verse was probably put in there is to explain why Silas was there in Antioch getting ready to go on the second journey with Paul. But I say, instead of put, instead of making up a, a verse to put in the text, it's much easier to say that Silas just came back from Jerusalem back at Antioch. Now, notice that the brothers commend Paul and Silas to go on their trip through Asia Minor, but they do not con- commend Barnabas and John Mark to go through Cyprus. Now, because of that, some speculate that the Antioch church backed Paul over Barnabas in that disagreement. John Gill and Adam Clark mentioned this, that many people say that. But Adam Clark points out this cannot be proven. And I say that this is a very weak argument from silence. From silence. Luke had just dropped his story of Barnabas. He's returning to Paul, and so he just doesn't mention the fact, the probable fact that the church sent Barnabas out and commended him on his trip to Cyprus. After all, Barnabas was well known in Antioch. He'd been there for years. He was a leading brother. So I just think this is unwarranted speculation to say that the church at Antioch backed Paul over Barnabas. Let me read you a quote from Jameson Fawcett and Brown backing me up on this. Quote, it does not follow from the historian's silence, that's Luke's silence, that Barnabas was not so recommended. Two, for this is the last mention of Barnabas in the history, whose sole object now is to relate the proceedings of Paul. Luke's sole object now is to relate to relate the proceedings of Paul. Nor does it seem quite fair, with Duet, Meyer, Houseman, Alfred, Hackett, Webster, and Wilkinson, etc., to conclude from this that the church at Antioch took that marked way of showing their sympathy with Paul in opposition to Barnabas. So Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown here quote a lot of high-powered 19th-century commentators who said, "See there, Paul was right and the Barnabas was wrong." No, I don't think so. I think we just don't know. And it might not have been right or wrong about it. It was just a personnel decision. Acts 15, verse 41. He, that's Paul, traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, these churches haven't been mentioned before. Syria, of course, is where Antioch was. And Cilicia is just to the north and to the west in Paul's home province. Cilicia was a Roman province. And it's right there in the northwestern corner of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, on the southern shore of Asia Minor, and these churches might have been started by somebody else. I say might have been because nowhere is it mentioned that Paul started those churches, and then the question arises, well, is Paul not building on another man's foundation, as he warned against doing in one of his uh, letters? No, he's not doing that. Even if he didn't start these churches, He's just encouraging the churches. That's not building on another man's foundation just to encourage a church. 
Besides, he could have established those churches. There are a lot of silent years of him working at Tarsus and in Antioch. Tarsus, of course, is in Cilicia. Antioch is in Syria, where these churches are that he's now strengthening before he gets cranked up on his second journey. Well, he's on his second journey, but, I mean, that's, this is the beginning of his second journey. The, the places aren't mentioned, but he could have started those churches because, well, as I say, he's been working in Tarsus and Antioch for a long time. Now, this idea of going back and strengthening the churches, again, as I mentioned earlier, I'll mention it again, is very important. He did that in the middle of his first journey. He went to Derby and backed up from Derby and went all the way through the other cities. Let's read that, Acts 14, verses 21 through 22. After they, that's Paul and Barnabas, had evangelized that town and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, that's Pisidian Antioch strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them it is necessary to pass through many troubles on our way into the kingdom of God. I guess one of the ways they strengthened the church is to encourage them in the face of persecution. And by golly, you know that was rough. You need encouragement when you're getting persecuted. All right, so we're now poised to send Paul and Silas off on their second journey. That will begin in Acts chapter 16. We'll take that up in the next audio. I hope you enjoyed this one.